Welcome to Talking Success, the podcast series that focuses on everything fintech. I'm your host, Aaron Franks, and each week I'll be joined by a series of experts in the field who have a wealth of knowledge to share. Whether you're a seasoned operator or simply curious about the world of fintech, Talking Success is the perfect place to stay up to date on the latest developments in the industry. So sit back, grab a coffee, and let's start Talking Success. So we've talked about sort of digital transformation. Mm -hmm. So how um, the banks effectively and the fintechs because i think they've they've given the the banks a you know a bit of a push in the right direction in terms of innovation and pushing the uh some of the boundaries um and we talk about how we're going to sort of i'm not going to use financial inclusion i know that's a big part of kind of the the economy and, and what we're striving for but for this part of the conversation if we start looking at central bank digital currencies and we look here in south africa um you've spoken just a moment ago about, you know, removing cash from society. And that's probably a, a pipe dream or, or, or certainly 20, 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the future. Um, would something like a CBDC fast track that? Do you think there is um, a true business case for CBDC here in, in South Africa? I'm not talking on a, on a global basis, but here, here in South Africa. What, what, what's your views? Oh, phew. Uh, uh, predicting the future is a, is a dangerous game, right? Only Gene Roddenberry... I usually, I usually rub my shiny head and then something yeah. happens. Try it, yeah. <laughs> so, so only Roddenberry and Bill Gates uh, get it right, right? Star Trek, yeah. for some reason, Bill Gates seems to be able to predict the future. Um, I think going with the thesis that... So on the one side, you've got, you know, there's the academic thesis, right? What can be done and what's the fastest way... To, to adapt to change, and that is many, many, many different uh, ways of, of, of tackling similar problems, right? So then you, you you don't box yourself into one set of solutions. You open it up and you adapt based on that. Each thing has their path that they go along, and and and, and you, you hedge yourself against any one item locking you down. In practice, though, that becomes very, very difficult. So... Do I think CBDCs will be um, successful in South Africa? Depends what you mean by successful, right? Because they must grow from zero to something that that takes on the, the scale of the national payment system and the financial movements in South Africa. So while a lot of technologies can be successful in small pockets, how do you create something that is at the scale of a national system, right? Um, that's doing... 120 million transactions or however many, right? Um, and, and it's actually resilient enough that you could add another million, another billion onto that. And it really doesn't fudge the system much, which is, and that's what you have in terms of the existing systems. Now, the innovations and, and a lot of the stuff that's happening at the moment needs time to be able to build itself up to something that is at a national level, right? Is it available to everyone? Is it a standard? Is it simple? Uh, is it protected by the law? What are my rights underneath the system? Um, uh, you know, the, our, our friends or our enemies, rather, the cyber criminals who track all of these things, are they ready and poised to exploit the system? So I think in, in short-term environments, we've been successful in a number of things. You know, the Saab was uh, launched uh, two blockchain product projects, which was done, which were done in record-breaking time, right? Um, uh, and, and have great understanding and, and thinking around that. But again, for me, it comes to that transformation piece. We want to transform an entire country into a digital society. Right? So it's not about, you know, 
point A or point B. It's about what happens in between. How do we take everyone along that journey and keep up our resilience levels, our protection levels, all of that at the high standard that we need to? Because th- those things are, for me, inexcusable. We can't have a situation where people's monies are taken out of their bank accounts. Right? Um, or people are, uh, and we talk, you talked about the trust side of things. Trust is evolving. It's an interesting thing. Um, but it would be a huge outcry to the government um, if money was, was, was taken away and just disappeared. Right? Now, it happens. Right? We've seen the crypto exchanges disappearing. We've seen... That, but it, that's happened to very small pockets of people, right? And arguably people who have uh, money and knew the risks when they went into it. Right? If you open this up to something the size of a, of a nation, what risks are we taking? So I, I do think CBDC will be great, right? Um, I think it is something that the, you know, that the central banks have to do because there's a challenge to... To, to fiat currency and, and modernization and all of that, right? Um, it opens up huge opportunities for, um, for other things like multi-token environments or uh, the ability to do cross-border trades in a different way. Um, but it will take time. Will it be a success? Will Bitcoin be a success in the long term? And it define, depends on how long you define the long term is. Oh. Absolutely. Uh, if we can deal with an elephant in the room, if we, if, we, if we can for a second, indulge me, Kumar, and if you don't mind. So we're talking about digital transformation. We're talking about digital currencies. There's people like you and I who are massively passionate about this, um, can see the, the sort of the, the longer term and, you know, how, how digitizing economies can improve lives, can take people out of poverty. And then we bring it back to where we are today, right? So we're on the 27th of February. Um, we're on st- stage five load shedding here in South Africa. Um, there's talk of this load shedding going on for a lot longer, potentially, you know, God forbid, a, a blackout. Um, and when then there's people like us that are sitting there trying to convince people to go digital. Um, you say, well, hang on a minute. If I can't charge my phone and I can't use an ATM and I can't, go and, you know, go log on to online banking because I've got no electricity, then hang on, this is a scary thought. Um, cash is going to be king. And uh, maybe cash is here for a lot longer because there is nervousness around actually what's going to happen here in South Africa with the, with the power situation, which if any of the listeners don't know, there is sort of rolling um, blackouts here in, in South Africa. Um and, uh, you know, it's set to continue for, for the time being. One thing I will say is, as a non-South African, um, the South Africans that I've met, which are many and plentiful, are probably the most resilient people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, you know, uh, shrug things off like this. And, uh, you know, a few years ago, we had the, the water crisis in, in, in the Western Cape. And people just got on with their lives. And, you know, if that was in the UK, there would literally be riots every day. So... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, kudos to all my South African counterparts who uh, are the most resilient people in the world. But going back to my point, Kamaran, um, you know, are we are we at the point now where we can really start talking about digital, or is there, you know, legitimately a case for consumers to go, hang on a minute, I want to be able to access my money when I need to access my money? Uh, definitely, there's a case. I mean, you know, and it's not a hope statement; it's it's a historically accurate statement. Rwanda was in, in a war-torn environment in the in the late 1990s. Um, Germany was was ripped apart 
um, after World War II. Um, Singapore was, I think, the third poorest country in the world um, back in the day, in the 1950s and 60s. Right. Um, we haven't, we are not close to that, uh, that kind of a scenario. Right. Um, you know, South Africans are, are resilient. People are resilient. Right. It's, people don't just lie down and die. They make a plan. Right. So something personal for me is my mum uh, needed to put three, uh, my three siblings through university and made a plan. She got up at three o'clock every morning. She um, had a particular skill in, in sewing. So she made stuffed toys and animals and she sold them. And she put three children through university, right? So that is there. Uh, the question is, how do you unlock it? And by the way, in doing that, my mom also came up with double entry accounting and an incredible cost accounting system um, and relationship model with, with the people that she was dealing with, right? So that stuff is there. Human intelligence is there. Human resilience is there. I think what is important is to pull that in and say, okay, how do we direct all that energy to something positive rather than something negative, right? We could fragment. We, you know, we could choose to fragment. But I don't think South African culture is like that, right? I don't think it's the kind of um, environment where people say, okay, I'm ready to give up and, and, and you know, give it a miss, right? Our history says that. So, yes, we've got electricity problems and, 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 and uh, from what I, I read, water problems um, as well. But we're not sitting in the bottom 10% of countries in the world. We're not in a war environment. We have able young minds. Children are going to school. Young people are building fintechs, right? So why are they building fintechs? Because there's hope and they have passion so those are the important things. I mean, the fact that the electricity supply is giving us problems, that, that's, that's a problem, right? But the Nigerians have had a problem with electricity supply all along, right? Uh, but people get on with it. And they, you know, if a measure of the success of an economy, of a developing economy in the world is the amount of direct investment it draws, then the Nigerians have done exceptionally well, right? So I think we are, I, I'm not saying we're fine. I'm not saying we mustn't address the problems. But I don't, you know, sort of, I don't have a doom and gloom um, outlook for it. I suppose one way of looking at it is the, the same Swedish that I spoke of wrote an economic outlook on South Africa, which was incredibly positive. And I asked them, I said, why? Why is it so positive? And their answer was very interesting. It's just that we don't look at things in short time frames. Um, Sweden has a relationship with South Africa going back to the 1960s, probably longer. And so for me, I get asked a lot by various companies, right? um, is investment in South Africa a good thing? And then I have to think long and hard on how to, to answer this because, of course, I want investment to come into South Africa, right? It's, it's, a, it's a duty as a South African you know, to, to help uh, uh, President Ramaphosa generate his $100 billion. Uh, but I, I find that the honest answer is, if you are in it in South Africa for the long term, if you're going to build a sustainable business, and if you're going to do it for in perpetuity, you're going to build a going concern, you want to set up a plant in South Africa, you want to grow South African skills, and you want to see this being something amazing, 
And South Africa is an amazing place. It's going to go through a couple of hiccups, um, but it's an amazing place to be in. If it's the Warren Buffett kind of thing that says, when there's blood in the streets, buy, 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 I said, well, I'd rather don't invest in South Africa then, right? Because that's just going to accelerate the bad things. I'd rather, rather bring in the investment for something big. And for the right reasons, I agree. And, and we've not seen a slowdown in investment, certainly, in, again, in the world of fintech over the last Fintech's six months. exceptionally well. I mean, it's done incredibly. I mean, uh, there was you know, a big raise last week, um, Planet 20, uh, 42, with the, uh, the, the sort of car leasing deal. Um, before that, there was Lula, Lula Lend, who raised $32 million. I mean, this is fantastic stuff for South Africa. Um, and, you know, the people that are making these investments, you know, don't just go out on a whim and a prayer and pull $30 million out their back pockets. You know, there's, there's proper due <laughs> diligence done, right? So, uh you know, this, this is really good. We've seen people like Network International come into the market, um, you know, with the acquisition of, uh, of Payfast. And there's lot, just lots of you know, positivity around. And I think, you know, from a, an infrastructure perspective, um, I mean, I'm not going to get into politics here at all. This is not the time nor the place. Um, but I do think that will, that will improve over time. Um, you know, I've seen things over the last 10 years since I've been in South Africa, how things have evolved. Um, and yeah, you know, you have peaks and you troughs and uh, some things go well and some things, okay, you know, need, need a bit more attention. But, you know, that, that, that is life. Um, so great. Um, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, th I think uh, you know. The, I think we will be fine as a country, yeah. right? Because the spirit is there, the the relationships are there, the history is there, all of that. The piece that we need to worry about is in the short term, right? Do we damage um, that resilience, or do we open up the door? Um, and cyber cyber resilience is a nice one to talk about, right? You've, you've got to be on your toes with, with, uh, with this stuff because the guys that are doing it are not geographically um, located. It's, no, not at all. put it differently, no. cyber criminals are meritocracy. Right? They exist on the dark web. They communicate with one another. They share information between competitors. They've formed an informal guerrilla network um, that is quite frightening. Right? So that need for change needs to keep happening. And that need for change in turn fuels the need for innovation. And it mm. means, you know, we've got to keep changing, right? We've got to keep going at it and keep going at it. I mean, you asked about, uh, you know, staying the same. I mean, imagine if uh, if everyone was still using checks in, in, in South Africa. Uh, so it can be done. It can yeah. be done, right? And we will move to those other states. But it's a question of leadership, vision, um, not over-engineering things and recognizing that, you know, we've got to set up the next generation to pick up stuff and say, okay, you're going to be a bit smarter than me because you've got ChatGPT and you know how to use it. <laughs> yeah. I've probably a million other tools as well by the time uh, this, this comes out. I, I'm blown away. I mean, I, I get a news feed every day of new AI tools. It's just frightening. Incredible. It really is. It's incredible. I, I, it, really it, is. It, it really blows me away. And that's exciting. That's very, very exciting. So, I mean, for me, I, I, I think I want to enthuse more young South Africans to not just get the, the qualification and, and exit or, or walk away to say, hey, right, uh, there were a bunch of old guys in the 1990s who had a, a, 
a purpose and the this country is known to be able to do great things when it has a purpose right so start coming together with this new purpose right and it sounds it sounds very high in the sky but when we investigate the countries that are moving ahead it's fascinating that the common element between them is that all of the countries that are moving forward with digitalization have a clear sense of national purpose right china india the scandinavian countries right and none of them have done it overnight not one mm. of these countries india's uh, economic reformation started in the 1980s right china has uh, announced the first announced to the world it would be joining the uh, the global uh, economies back in 1982 or something like that right the the scandinavian countries have been doing this since the 18 late 1800s right so it takes time but if you have that vision and purpose Sorry everyone that was load shedding. There you go. Quick quick move over <laughs> the other camera. <laughs> you see you you just you've just demonstrated that you know these little hiccups don't actually change yeah, the conversation. Absolutely. The show must go on. But you you you're right and I I think if there's there's one country that we can look at on the continent who who probably fast track this faster than anyone else is Rwanda. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, in terms of uh, the digital transformation there, it's uh, it's amazing. You talk about sort of the the, the national sort of pride and the, and the national um, so the, the whole nation getting behind this and, and, and getting behind you know the, the leaders and, and then really driving this forward. I, I was blown away when I was in Kigali. Um, just the, the 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 sheer scale of what they're doing, but it's not um, it's not kind of glitz and glamour. And I, I think that's where you know you, you look at Singapore, UAE, Qatar. It's, it's very glitz and glamour. And okay, fine, they've got you know billions and billions of dollars of, of, of uh, natural gas and, and, and petrochemical. But um, if you look at someone like Rwanda, um, you know what's built is functional. Um, it's really, really inclusive. As in, you know. age um religion uh gender i mean the gender uh, you know parity is unbelievable absolutely unbelievable um and and you look at how quickly that's evolved since obviously you know ge- genocide really wasn't that long ago if we put things yeah. in some context um it, it's amazing how a country can evolve and it can you know be a spearhead and be uh, a catalyst for you know other nations looking and going that's a really good mission or that's a really and, good and vision what, what i think is going to happen i see you know the mathematics of all of this is these are big number problems right so you see countries like india and china emerging as leaders in the world but that's because they've got experience in dealing with very very big numbers they know how to create operations of billions of people right billions of data points so all of all of the stuff we're talking about panders towards experience with large numbers and the numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger the iot will come um soon and you know it takes kumaran from being an entity that generated 50 digital transactions a month to 50 million 50 billion you know um and now we ask ourselves so how do we actually you know bring this together and what we're seeing is it takes time leadership is necessary and adapt right I mean people talk about sort of the Chinese model but it's an incredibly adaptive model right they might have very clear a very clear vision right very clear idea of what it means to be the world leader in smart health and smart finance and innovation right and they might be targeting that 
but the model itself adapts constantly, right? And it challenges things. It challenges things like funding models, the role of the state, uh, democracy versus communism. All of these things get challenged. But what comes together at the, at the bottom is this thing that says, how do you unlock those numbers? Because that's the potential of your economy. Right? So where I'm getting to with this is, I think the technology piece is going to become secondary to the trade deals and the economic movements because I think regionalization and those forces are going to become a lot more important. And South Africa, to a great extent, is tied in, not just geographically, but ideologically as well, with the rest of Africa. Right? We are the leading, you know, our central bank is highly respected in Africa. Right? We're the leading environment, we've, we've, we've led in a lot of things. But what it needs now is we need to be able to unlock, we talked about the SME, SME market. Right? Yeah. The SMME market is, an, is, is a decentralization effect, right? It's where it's no longer the firm, but you also have the market. It's trading. Now, it takes care, care of geographic borders. It takes care of over-centralization. And Africa was uniquely positioned for this because it's such a geographically large space with people removed from one another. Technology, a smartphone just landed so well, right? And it's enabled so much to happen that in the retail markets, you just see this clamor towards decentralization, being able to put power and economic activity in the hands of people. Right. And I think that will unlock. Now, if we're going to be uh, successful as South Africa, part of our vision must be not just unlocking the potential of 60.8 million people, but being part of the potential of 1.3 billion people. Right. That competes with the China, mm. with an India, you know, with the United States, with the European Union, because I think those are, that's where the movements can happen. And things like payments. Uh, you know, the, the Indians are, from my understanding, is they're not targeting payments as an end state. It's not a silo to look at payments, right? Their system is much, much bigger than that. Right? Their UPI system, the Adar digital identity, all of that is unlocking a market of a few hundred million um, uh, participants. Right. So you think of all those software developers um, and young people from that young population pyramid entering the market with digital identities and the capability to use ChatGPT, et cetera, et cetera. Right? And that becomes a, a powerful force. So we've got to do the same. There's a, it's a mathematics problem. Things are increasing exponentially. The best way to deal with it is to distribute the problem as much as possible so that you don't centralized diminishing returns and things like this. So to the beginning of this, where do banks and fintechs come in? Everyone must do the right thing and and, and collaborate and move things forward. Right? Um, we're not gonna I'm not gonna predict whether uh, a crypto or a CBDC or a you know some newfangled technology that comes out next week um, is going to be the winner. But if there is that collaboration then the market becomes more resilient and it starts turning over ideas faster. And it starts bringing new participants in. And most importantly, it hands something over to the next generation, right? My daughter's 11, she's smarter than I am by far already. By the time she's 18, she'll be using tools I can't even dream about now, right? But I still have a role to play. I can teach her the value system. I can teach her, you know, what is important for society and, and, and to, to be a good person and bring that in to what we, we talk about and call our, our society and our business. And I think that's important. 
one. So we, we, we are inextricably linked into Africa. We have to not even be a recipient of it. We should be promoting trade movements um, in, 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 in Africa, right? Um, and payments needs to move very quickly to being like the water in the tap. You don't know how many scientists are involved in giving you the water in the tap. All you want to know is when you open the tap, the water comes out of the tap. And that's a wrap for this week's episode of Talking Success. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us for this fascinating discussion on all things fintech. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and have gained some valuable insights into the ever-evolving world of finance and technology. A huge thank you to our guests for sharing their expertise and providing us with some amazing insights. We certainly couldn't have done this without them. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and stay tuned for more exciting conversations with experts in the field. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing, and keep talking success.